This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's another Seattle Sports at Night. Seahawks insider Stacey Rost here with Jake Heaps. Um, you know what? Let's actually start this one out with uh, with an apology. Really? You yeah. Got, you have an apology? Well, see, and you're laughing because normally I'm always right. Correct. Um, it's taking I, I can't me... remember when I've ever been wrong about I'm anything shocked. in my life. But um, What were you wrong about? I was wrong about this weekend. Here's, uh, here's what I said on Friday. Seattle will have a better performance on on offense. I think they'll be able to, to tighten a few things up. I still think it's just a really, really tough game to win, so I'm going to take Pittsburgh. Mm. I hate it. I know. I'm sorry. Please don't be mad at me. I'm not just getting what I mad. Think. I'm... Okay. Go ahead. What do you got, Jake? I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. That's <laughs> fair. Jake was sitting next to me for that uh, show. We filled in for Bob Gross and Tom with Tom Wassell. I could feel your disappointment. Oh, for that. You're apologizing for that. I forgot about that. No, I didn't. <laughs> Stacy. <laughs> no, I How could you pick I got called the out Steelers. on Twitter and you jumped into that and said absolutely she took the Steelers to win. First of all, the Seahawks were four-point underdogs. They Russell Wilson hadn't played in that stadium before. They were coming off of uh, a game where the offensive line just broke down a bit. It's early. Sure. They didn't have Ziggy Ansa. They're facing a, normally a very potent offense. Sure, yeah. I think it was fair to say, you know, they're going to look better. I don't know if they're going to be good enough to top the Steelers. And this morning, here I am eating crow for a breakfast, lunch, and fair, dinner. Fair, fair, but wrong. But you know what, Stacy? It is big of you to come out here from Thanks. the jump and own it. Own your mistake while I get to sit here and reap the rewards of being right. And, and trust when you are able to play the run defense and have the front seven that you have with the Seahawks, I think you're able to dictate what teams are going to do. Although I'm afraid of Ben Roethlisberger and the weapons that they have, I think it's going to present a lot of problems for our secondary. I do believe if the Seahawks can win the battle of the line of scrimmage, they can come out of this with a, with a victory. And I do believe the Seahawks are going to get it done. It's so annoying. Boom! Boom! However, so annoying. however, I will say that I was wrong in the aspect of I thought that it was going to come down to winning the line of scrimmage. But Stacey. it might have. It, if well, Ben Roethlisberger was still in there. Here's the thing. I, I think that the Seahawks, the, the big surprise in all of it was they were able to weather the storm. Unlike last week, Stacey, where they really struggled. They could not get off of their spot. And what I mean by that is mm-hmm. Pete Carroll Pete Carroll last week after the Cincinnati game said we were a little too arrogant. Yeah. We were too arrogant and we kept trying to establish the run, kept trying to attack the teeth of the defense in the Cincinnati Bengals and we just simply couldn't do it. This week they learned their lesson. They realized and kind of what I was begging for, clamoring for. I know they were listening to me. I already know the word you're going to use. They were listening. You, in those situations, what I was hoping that they would do is if things go wrong, that you start leaning into your top five quarterback in Russell Wilson. And that's exactly what they did. As they were struggling to get things going on offense early, what they decided to do was say, you know what? We're going to trust Russell Wilson. Brian Schottenheimer saying, you know what? I'm tired of defenses dictating what's going to happen to us. We are going to attack the pressures that the Steelers, are, the Pittsburgh Steelers are throwing at us. And you know what? I'm trusting Russell to not just make me right, but to surgically get this done and be the quarterback that we all hope and know that he can be. And the reason why he was, why he's the highest paid player in the NFL, Stacey, mm-hmm. 
that to me was Russell Wilson's, if not his best, one of his very best performances in this league. And I think it, I am ready to go on the table to say that was arguably his best performance. And the reason why, Stacey, I think that that was one of his best performances. I mean, he played out of his mind in terms of he had an 82.9 completion percentage. Mm -hmm. He threw for 300 yards on the dot, three passing touchdowns. But I think the one thing that was very, very evident was is that he was in control. He was in command of what he was seeing at the line of scrimmage and was picking apart the Pittsburgh Steelers and did not throw one ball in harm's way, was very accurate, and I think did a great job of just surgically dicing that defense up to the point where when you walk away or you're in the middle of that game, you're like, ah, well, we're moving the ball, but I don't really feel like Russell's had this big play. Like he's, You don't feel that he's playing this unbelievable game. That's exactly what top five quarterbacks do. Mm-hmm. They chip away. They dice you. They're surgical. And when you look at the final stat line, you go, man, Russell Wilson did play a phenomenal game. Absolutely. And despite what Pete Carroll said in the past, they dinked and dunked, Stacey. They dinked and dunked they their way down the field. They did, and it worked out. And he said this morning he was on with Brock and Salk for the Pete Carroll Show, which is every Monday after a game. And uh, Mike Salk asked him about that. He was like, you know, I noticed you guys dinking and dunking. And Carroll said, well, yeah, I mean, sometimes the opportunities are there. And he talked about uh, the, the defense they saw from the Steelers, that they would be blitzing more than most other teams they'd face. And with that would be a bit vulnerable. And Russell Wilson was able to take advantage of it. But more than just that completion percentage he had, which, by the way, is a career high for him. Yeah. And that's including his perfect passer rating. Uh, it's a career high completion percentage for Russell Wilson on almost double the amount of pass attempts he had last week. He passed for 35 times this week compared to 20 last week. More than that, I don't know that the Seahawks win this without Russell Wilson. In fact, I don't think the Seahawks win this without Russell Wilson. And I look specifically at that final drive. The Seahawks get the ball with 534 left. When this happened, it's a two-point game. Ultimately, it was the final drive of the game, so the score right now is 28-26. to Right. When they got the ball, I remember thinking, Oh, no, because that's that awkward time in a game where you think, you know, you can't necessarily get close enough to kneel this one out. You kind of got to score. And no matter what, in in most cases, they're probably going to get the ball back with some time. Yeah. And instead, Russell Wilson put together, uh, man, like 10-ish plays before they took three plays to kneel it out. Yeah. In all of those plays, there were three runs, one run, one yard run by Penny another by Penny, and then obviously uh, Chris Carson's vital fourth-and-one conversion. But Russell Wilson had three scrambles in there, including converting a 3-16 and 16 to, well, it didn't convert, but he got a 3-16 and 16 to a fourth-and-one, which ultimately won them the game. His decision-making on the final drive, his play on the final drive, it, it wasn't like a 40-yard bomb for a touchdown to seal the win. It wasn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. something that was noticeable. Point. But when you think about it, he got the ball with five minutes and 34 seconds left and did enough to be able to kneel it out. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fantastic point. I, I'm looking at you know the, the entire game and the landscape of it and what he was able to do surgically. But like you said, Stacey, in that tough moment, in that environment, uh, you, you look at it and you go, yeah, Russell Wilson did Russell Wilson-type things, which he closed games out. Whether mm-hmm. they're behind or whether they're in the lead, he is 
a dominant player in the fourth quarter. And that's, that's, that's a fantastic point because I was feeling the same exact way. I was feeling great when they were up 29 to 19. Man, we got this game in the bag. You know, you're going to waste a lot of clock here. And the Steelers are going to have a very limited chance of coming back with a new quarterback. Uh, their backup quarterback in the game in Mason Rudolph, mm-hmm. and then they give up that fumble, and man, now you're in a totally different situation. So I fully agree with you on that. And uh, the other part that I I come away uh, thinking in this game is, you know, people have talked about Pete Carroll and, and the job that he did, and I thought he made some really good timely decisions. The fourth and one, obviously, to go for it in that gutsy. moment, very gutsy. But I think that was the right call. If you truly believe in your offensive line and what you've you know talked about your philosophy being mm-hmm. and having those big buys up front, you, you go and make that decision every time with Chris Carson running the ball. But I would say the guy who deserves a lot of credit, who I I think isn't getting talked about a lot, is Brian Schottenheimer. Interesting, Jake. I really think that Brian Schottenheimer called in an unbelievable game and was willing, like I said, unlike in week one, changed and was willing to make in-game adjustments and – put Russell Wilson in great position to uh, take advantage of what the defense was presenting, uh, giving him opportunities to throw the ball quickly, get the ball quickly out of his hands. Uh, interesting stat for you, Stacy. In that game, Russell Wilson's average time holding the ball was 1.89 seconds. That is unbelievable. And Pete Carroll earlier this morning said Schottenheimer had a great sense for how to attack Pittsburgh. I played off of Shotty. Shotty really felt it, and he, he he had the confidence that we were able to get guys open in all of those different calls we were doing. We did a, a number of things, and we repeated a number of calls because they were fitting in right. And uh, and so, you know, I just kind of got quiet on the phones, and he, he was going great. Another good sign to just be able to, even as a head coach, say, you know what, I'm going to back off the headset. I'm going to let you guys figure this out because you're on a roll, and I'm not going to stop it. And I think, like you said, giving Schottenheimer and Wilson the reins there ended up you know, getting you the win. Yeah, it really did. You're not walking out of, of Pittsburgh, you know, trying to take on the same philosophy or have the same approach as you did week one. You needed to adjust. You needed to adapt. And that's where I, I look at this moving forward and go, okay, I feel really good about where the state of this offense is. Obviously, it was not a clean game. It was not clean at all. When you look at it from a penalty standpoint, they still gave up four sacks, Stacy. Chris Carson fumbled the ball. They actually lost the turnover battle in terms of the turnover margin. They were still able to come out with a win. Which is rare. Very rare. For any team. But the the one part of it that's interesting is that they were in complete control of that game outside of a couple big plays, a couple big fumbles that, that happened and made that game a lot closer than it needed to be. And the fact that Pete Carroll, Brian Schott, Pete Carroll was willing to trust Brian Schottenheimer and Brian Schottenheimer there in four is trusting Russell Wilson, I think is just the perfect culmination of what needs to happen. If this group is going to make a serious playoff run, a Super Bowl run, you have to be able to make those in-game adjustments, and, and, and Shoddy did just that. Here's the thing, Jake. Last time the Seahawks started a regular season 2-0 and was when they made that Super Bowl run. It's when they won the Super Bowl. It was in 2013. Here's the problem, though. Uh, two other teams in the NFC West have also started 2-0 in the Rams and the Cardinals. Um, not the Cardinals, the 49ers. But I think when you're looking at the NFC West, do you start... Oh, 
And we have a trade announcement. According to Adam Schefter, uh, the Steelers are trading a 2020 first-round pick to the Dolphins for defensive back Minka Fitzpatrick. Well, there goes my show sheet. <laughs> Never mind. Come on, Schefter. Could you not tweet that out till Come tomorrow? Come on. Man, that, that hurts. I, I was really looking forward to the opportunity for the Seahawks and John Schneider to maybe pull that one off. Uh, you know, we, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. But gosh dang it, that, that really bums me out. Um, and by the Pittsburgh Steelers standpoint, really good move on their part because they definitely needed some Aren't help you glad Seattle's round. already played them? Yes, very glad. <laughs> Would have been bad news, Bears. Yes. Honestly, good for Mika Fitzpatrick, though. I yeah. wonder what the Steelers gave up. Well, it, it, honestly, I think they had to have given up a first-round pick in, in order for them to walk away with that because, they, you know, Mika Fitzpatrick, great player, mm-hmm. a guy who commanded a lot of respect, and in, in, uh, there were a lot of teams around the league, including the Seattle Seahawks, that were very, very intrigued and interested in him. And let's get into the timeline. All right, let's cover what else is going on. Pete Carroll, on his birthday, 68, gets his 100th win as head coach of the Seahawks. Pretty nice gift. I would say so. I would be a pretty dang good gift uh, if I'm a head coach in the NFL. Uh, I mean, for Pete Carroll, he's established one heck of a program here with the Seahawks, and we have, as Seattle fans, been able to enjoy a heck of a ride uh, here. And we didn't know what he would ultimately be like coming from USC. You knew his positive attitude, his high energy, uh, but, man, it has turned into something special, and, and we have been truly blessed to have him as our head coach and to be able to watch some pretty fun football while he's been here. Did you see the video of him getting completely drenched by yeah. the players in the locker room covering him with water? It, it players was, clearly just so pumped. Yeah, it was awesome. And Pete Carroll loving and enjoying every second of that moment, and good for him. And I, and I promise you, he loved the way that he was able to win that game in Pittsburgh. Yep. With a fourth down call, uh, running the ball, uh, you couldn't have asked for a better Even hard hits Carroll. on defense. Yeah. I mean, it was very much a Pete Carroll-esque win, uh, even with the passing. You know, you know, even with a, a bit of uh, adapting into a different kind of style of offense, it was still balanced. Yes. Uh, still got 150 rushing yards, Here, good here's, performances. Here's an interesting stat for you, Stacey. Uh, since Pete Carroll, in the Pete Carroll era, before this game, they were only 1-8 in, in the Seahawks' first East Coast road trip each yeah. season. So. Uh, now they improved to two and eight in in under the Pete Carroll era. So this win meant a lot in terms of not just actual records and all that, but also a huge hurdle for Pete Carroll to overcome. Also, let me tell you what, sixty eight, like looks pretty good on Pete Carroll. If that's how <laughs> much energy I can have at sixty eight, it's Pete Carroll and my stepdad. There's going to be, I don't even know what's going to happen. Humanity could be completely wiped out. I think they'd be the only two people left. I don't really? know how my stepdad's doing it. He eats like steak every day, but somehow. <laughs> so he hasn't just... he hasn't turned into a plant based. He chopped down like a tree the other day. He's seventy five. He cut down a tree with a chainsaw. Wow. I know. Okay. It's a it's a Pete Carroll esque approach to the yard. Very physical. <laughs> Ziggy Ansa, meanwhile, could play in week three. Obviously, was inactive for weeks one and two with that shoulder injury. Uh, should we be concerned it's taken this long for him to get out there? You know what? I feel like Ziggy, Pete Carroll and Ziggy Ansah have been playing with my emotions the past two weeks. I've been so excited to get him on the field. And each week at the last minute, you show you know, you know look at the inactive list and there he is. And, and I think that's been a big disappointment. But really, 
when you look at this whole thing, Stacey, when we were talking about mm-hmm. when we first signed back him. Back in May. Yeah, this was the expectation. This was the expectation. If you knew that he was going to get back in week three, I think everybody would be thrilled. But we had a little bit of hope that mm-hmm. he would play in the opening game. And so for that reason, I'm not too concerned. Yeah, I think if you get to like a week four or five and he's not out there, then you start to wonder because he could have been placed on the PUP list and obviously he wasn't. So the expectation was he would get out there before six weeks. Uh, Meanwhile, success for college football in Washington. Washington and Washington State both got wins this weekend. The Huskies beat Hawaii 52 to 20. Miles Bryant might have been the MVP of this contest, for me at least. He had two interceptions, including one where he just straight up stripped the ball away from someone. Also had another sack. Uh, meanwhile, the Cougs beat the other Cougs. That would be Houston, thirty-one to twenty-four. It was Anthony Gordon's third four hundred plus yard game. I'll tell you what, the Cougs are rolling right now. I they mean, are. Uh, defensively, they they're they haven't faced a true true test yet. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when they have a physical, hard nosed team, uh, like in two weeks when they face Utah, and see what that looks like. But this offense right now, Mike Leach, uh, he has established a system, a culture, and it doesn't matter who's behind there at center or uh, uh, under center, and and uh, I should say in the shotgun because they never go under center. But Anthony Gordon uh, is in command. He's he's playing the system exactly yeah. the way yep. Mike Leach wants it, and you know happy to see this happen for a guy who has just sat there and waited his turn. Definitely talented enough. And when you look at uh, Washington. Obviously, man, Jacob Easton has got unbelievable talent. Some of the throws that he made, Stacey. That touchdown, oh gosh, what was it? I'm going to have to look this back up. I texted you about it. Yeah. It was, and I said Jacob Eason with like four dollar sign emojis. <laughs> well, was it the post route that he ripped like a line drive 40 yards down the yes. field? Was it the, the go ball that he threw like a cover two no, hole shot? But that was great. I mean, he displayed uh, why NFL scouts mm-hmm. and NFL GMs are looking so heavily at this kid. Uh, to me, when you play a team like Hawaii, this is the type of performance that you should have. Uh, they're going to have a tougher test this weekend in BYU. BYU is, is coming off a big upset win versus USC. Are we going to have some coffee writing on this game or something? <sighs> I don't know. Me, we'll, you, we'll and Danny, former alums, although... Uh... I don't yeah. know. I just never got into the UW color scheme. Yeah, it's I a, think I'd be a bigger Husky fan if purple looked better on me, but unfortunately, so? <laughs> that's that's purely what it is. I'm not kidding. I mean, I was there for the winless that's, season, but a big part of it is just not purchasing school gear. That's hilarious. I'm that, sorry. That is really funny. I, I, that, and that's going to be interesting. So, you know, WSU, UW, I think they come away from this week looking very good, very clean. Uh, next week, UW's going to get a big test. WSU in two weeks, we're going to find out a lot about them because I don't see them having any issue with the dumpster fire situation that's going on at UCLA. Here's my question, Jake. I didn't include it in the timeline. I'm kind of going to get you off guard here. If you have to guess who has the better record by the end of the year, is it Wazoo or UW? Oh, man. Uh, On the spot, Jake's time to answer. uh, Lots of pressure. I think think (laughs) UW. Uh, that was good impromptu right there. Yeah. I think UW is going to be the one that has the better record overall when it's all said and done. All right. I know that they've got a, a, a tougher schedule, especially in the middle of their schedule, but I do believe these next two weeks are going to be uh, a prime opportunity, and they already handled it with Hawaii. But BYU continuing to get some of the kinks out of their system mm-hmm. before they face a gauntlet of a schedule. Uh, last story now. <laughs> Thanks, Minka. Uh, Kyle Lewis, keeping Mariners fans excited in September, hit his fourth home run Sunday. That was a three-run homer in the eighth. 
According to the Seattle Times, he is the first player in Mariners history with four home runs in his first six games, and his nine RBI is the most in franchise history through six games. Is he the real deal? Is it too early? He, no. He I is, mean, I know he's, he was 11th it, overall, right? Like that's Right now... Right now, Stacey, I want to How early overreact. is too early? I want to overreact. This Let's kid is it. a superstar Let's right overreact. now. We need, Mariners fans, we need this right now. We need to see Kyle Lewis, you know, take off in a big way and, and have this debut that he's having. Uh, it's very encouraging, exciting. It's an exciting story, and he is a legitimate prospect. I cannot wait to see what ends up happening with him next year. It is too early to, to deem this kid, uh, you know, a future Hall of Don't Famer or a, a big time no, future Hall of Famer, <laughs> big time player. But <laughs> you have to love uh, what you're seeing from Kyle Lewis and be extremely happy for him. It's fun anytime, even if. Whatever happens with Kyle Lewis, it's fun anytime you see someone set some kind of historic record. Nearly tied uh, Story's four-game home run streak for his first four four career games with a home run. Kyle Lewis ended up getting three but became just the second player in MLB history to do so. So either way, you've kind of written yourself into the storybooks there. Uh, Coming up next, I want to get into the Minka Fitzpatrick trade just a little bit. But should the Seahawks seriously consider trading for another player? That's next on Seattle Sports at Night. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Seahawks insider Stacey Rost here with Jake Heaps. Y'all, we broke some news. Well, I don't know that we broke news. Hopefully you heard it first from us. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um. But uh, the Seahawks were reportedly one of a handful of teams interested in uh, trading for Minka Fitzpatrick. So Jason LaConfora had Seattle in there along with Washington. He also had the Steelers in there. Dallas, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, all potential playoff teams. Why wouldn't you want to trade for him? Um, And then Benjamin Albright had Seattle and Dallas as two potential leading contenders there. So that's interesting. Uh, Just enough to get my hopes up, to get my excitement going. The Steelers get it. And the Pittsburgh Steelers have to go and break my heart. Yep. So uh, thanks for that. We appreciate it. And also, you blew up part of our show sheet. So way to go. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. You know what? I'm blaming Adam Schefter. Minka had nothing to do with this. It's true. He's an innocent bystander. And the Miami Dolphins. And the, I'm definitely, you know what? I am blaming the Dolphins for this because in fantasy football, I'm playing Maura Dooley, John Clayton's producer. I have Patrick Mahomes, who still did not put up as many points as the New England defense. <laughs> the New England defense got 35 points. Oh I'm my upset. Gosh. I'm so mad. <laughs> I am so mad. That is such a bad situation. 7-10, 7-10. Let me know how the Browns defense is doing. That's my yeah. last hope. It's oh, my only hope. Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, I, the, the the sad part for uh, for me is Ryan Fitzpatrick. He was a quarterback uh, for the Jets yeah. when I was uh, my rookie year. How was he? He, he was awesome. He yeah, was an incredible guy. Um, learned a lot about the game from him. Super bright guy. Um, he's had big flashes in this league, and he's also had really low lows. And I think the part that's really hard is he is in a horrific situation. People mm-hmm. want to you know point the finger at Fitz. I mean he. It is a horrible situation. I don't care who you put at quarterback. The they entire are going, thing. They are going to be hot terrible. Mess. And you look at this for the Miami Dolphins, and they are actually sitting in a pretty nice situation having three first-round picks next year. That's uh, right. Adam Schefter saying the Dolphins wanted a one for Minka Fitzpatrick and got it from the Steelers. And that pick, with the way the Pittsburgh Steelers season is going right now, could potentially 
be a top 10, top so 15 you have pick. A, an additional two first round picks plus that, although you still need to hit on those. You right? do. You do. You have to hit on them. There's no guarantee in all that. That's for sure. Uh, but the problem is, is you have those three first round picks, but those aren't going to change that. Those picks aren't going to change the culture that is currently there with the Miami Dolphins. I mean, Brian Flores and, and the way that 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 organization is set up right now. Are you kidding me? Who wants to be a player to walk into that situation when you have players after player asking to be traded away and they are doing a horrific job of showing the players on that team that they are all in and and at least mm-hmm. trying to win? So I look at that and go, man, it is a bold strategy, interesting strategy. We'll see how it how it pays off for them. But uh, when when you look at this for the Seahawks, uh, ultimately, I think it was the right move for them not to. I don't know if they gave up a or were willing to give up a first round pick, but I think it was the right move for them to to not go to that length to try and get Minka Fitzpatrick. And they could still be involved in another trade conversation happening, as could many other teams, because. Uh, Pro Bowl cornerback Jalen Ramsey has reportedly asked the Jaguars, the Jaguars, mm. for a trade. Uh, Adam Schefter says the Jags are looking for at least one first-round pick in return but want more than that. So uh, text into the Coors Light text line, 710-710. You, would you want Jalen Ramsey, knowing that you would have to give up a first-round pick to, to acquire him at the minimum, would you be willing to to do that to acquire Jalen Ramsey? Because me, I am firmly against that for a couple reasons. One, I think that's way too much draft capital for mm-hmm. the Seahawks to be giving up right now on a player who is a major distraction, a massive distraction. And you spent last year and the year before that trying to clean out some of those distractions, those negative voices in your locker room. You've finally gotten to a place where you're a healthy locker room right now. Uh, for the Seattle Seahawks. And the other part of it, too, is the reason why I was so excited about Minka Fitzpatrick was he was going to be a very, very cheap player with three years of control. Yes. Whereas Jalen Ramsey, you have only one year of control with a one-year option, which is which would be ten over $10 million if you were to exercise that option. So definitely more expensive. Great player, but everything else that comes along with it not a chance. Did you get a total Mary Kate and Ashley vibe when we said seven ten seven ten at the same time? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Me too. From the Coors Light text line from the six zero two, hard no on Jalen Ramsey four two five. Nope. Nope. And nope on Ramsey really six zero. No way on Ramsey. Uh, and also the four two. Oh, the four two five says yes. Another four two five. Yes, a first for Ramsey. So here's my question. In addition to maybe the four two fives question. You answered it a bit, but I really want to talk about whether the Seahawks have what they need. Obviously, in, well, they were reportedly in trade talks for Mika Fitzpatrick. Let's assume that they get into conversations for any potential trade, which Pete Carroll has said. Cornerback is obviously a need. <laughs> it is. You look at it and go, okay, Shaq Griffin, Trey Flowers, have these guys played well enough look at for a them nickel, even. to maintain their spot? I, I, I don't know if they have. And that's why this year is a critical year for both of those players and for this organization to figure out what they need to do in the future. With all those things being said, I do not believe that a Jalen Ramsey is going to help this team go to the Super Bowl, where I believe a Minka Fitzpatrick absolutely would have because, one, great fit in the locker room as a player, as a human being, uh, as a teammate, 
The other part of it is they desperately need safety help. He could be dynamic as a free mm-hmm. safety, allowing Bradley McDo to play strong safety, which is his best position. You would have Jalen Ramsey at, at free safety? No, no, no. Mika okay. Fitzpatrick got is it, what I'm it, saying. The reason why I would want Mika. And and also, he could play nickel if you needed to in matchup situations. He's better at nickel. Right. So there's a lot more to like than that. Jalen Ramsey, to me, I, I just not a big fan of his. Mm-hmm. Not, not in the least. Good player, horrible distractions. For, for the Seahawks right now, they are sitting pretty in terms of their cap their cap situation in 2020, 2021, and also the draft capital that they have. They have the pieces in place to get very aggressive and to finally you know, round out this roster to where you can acquire the depth that you're desperately needing right. across the board and also to get a, a key player, a player here and there that you feel can get you to the Super Bowl. And that's where I would like at this point in time for the Seahawks to remain. I don't want them to go out and try and acquire any Give more players future, yeah. uh, unless it was a Minka Fitzpatrick type of fit, not a Jalen Ramsey distraction. Do you think they can get to a Super Bowl with the exact secondary they have right now? I do. Actually, the, the thing that I felt really encouraged about, Stacy was the fact that what did we talk about last week? We talked about Tedrick Thompson and Lano Hill. And I was very adamant about Lano Hill needed to get the start and to at least see what he can do. And – Lano Hill played very, very well. I thought he played a very good game, clean game. The secondary was more on the same page. Uh, the, it doesn't say that he was perfect. He gave up, obviously, on the flea flicker. He gave up a big play mm-hmm. uh, over the top. But overall, for his first action and coming back from a hip hip, uh Yeah, that was uh, really surgery, his first time in getting game action, essentially. It, exactly. I thought he played very, very well. And, and I'm very excited to see what that secondary can grow into as they continue to get more continuity. But definitely a much improved secondary with Lano Hill in there at safety rather than Tedrick Thompson. I tend to think that, too. I tend to think it's certainly not their strength, even though individually those players have enough potential. And I was talking with Jesamyn McIntyre about it in the sports pit earlier today. It feels like the longest day ever. I almost said yesterday, but nope, (laughs) it's Monday. Um, We were talking about just our kind of reaction to the win over the Steelers, how we felt about the defense, and then how we felt about the secondary in particular, because that was really our biggest conversation coming out of week one, in addition to the offensive line. And I think both of us felt like the the problem isn't not having the potential. The risk that the Seahawks have, that they're rolling the dice this year on, is you have the potential, you just need all of it to come together. You need a second-year cornerback who switched there from safety. You need a third-year cornerback who just went to the left side two years ago. Um, and you need either Lano Hill or Tedra Thompson to all have a pretty solid season. Um, Trey Flowers performed better in week two. Shaquille Griffin had a good week one, actually. Yeah. Lano Hill, like you said, he had, he had some downs on that flea flicker, but then uh, picked off a pass from Rudolph. Uh, to and, keep and that's it, and that's the yep, play that Tedrick yep. Thompson simply would not make, Stacey. He was there, not only there at the right time and place, but actually finished the play. Right. And I think that it's still – this is why I still have kind of like a tepid endorsement of it. It's not that I don't think individually these players are talented. It's just – Anytime you need a lot to come together at once, you kind of wonder if it will. Yeah, but that's and it's too early for me to. It is. It is to too really early. Have a gauge I, on I, it. And I and I think that's I think that's absolutely right. It is too early right now. This is going to be a week by week progression, and they're going to be challenged. 
Luckily, they're not facing Drew Brees this next week in week three. I mean, mm-hmm. that was something that I was definitely nervous about. One of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play this One game. One of the most and accurate quarterbacks to ever play this it, game. Absolutely. With a with a Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and a, and a really good Yikes. group that they have with Jared Cook, all that. But now, now they're getting a chance to uh, build each week. And, and that's the part that I'm excited about in the way this is whole this whole thing is shaping up. So again, I think it was a massive improvement to uh, make the switch from Tedrick Thompson to Delano Hill. I think that was much improved. There's still mistakes that were made, but this is a group that continue that can continue to build uh, confidence in one another, build trust in one another as they continue to play. And and I expect this group to get better as long as Shaq Griffin and Trey Flowers. Mm-hmm continue to progress. I yes. do believe Delano Hill, although he his ceiling might not be very high, I do believe that he is going to be a solid player in this defense. I think also you need Bradley McDougal, hopefully, to stay healthy because, to me, he's the most accomplished and talented and veteran most player in that secondary. It's the reason that we aren't mentioning his name right now. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So when it comes down to you know trading for players right now, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, I thought, was the perfect fit for the Seahawks, was an absolute no-brainer. Would have been stoked if they would have been able to acquire him for a second-round pick. Uh, but obviously the market was too hot, uh, and and the Steelers get him giving up a first-round pick. Jalen Ramsey is just not the type of player that the Seahawks need to be dealing with at this point in time uh, of the season and is a guy that, to me, is when you talk about Richard Sherman, you talk mm-hmm. about Michael Bennett and kind of some of the distractions that they were at times. I feel that Jalen Ramsey is by far, by far, a bigger distraction each week. You have no idea what this guy is going to say. You have no idea how he's going to conduct his business. And, and, and the way that he is continuing to not only be a distraction off the field, but in the game, you you know your head coach and the relationship that you guys had. I mean that was a major distraction and the distraction that he has now created uh, for the Jaguars. You, you can't overlook that when this is a very good defense. This is a good team that can go places, uh, but he worked himself out of a situation right now. He is on the outside looking in, seeking a trade, demanding a trade, mm-hmm. and I think that that's something that the Seahawks just don't need to get themselves involved in. Overall, texters Jake certainly agreeing with you there. Um, are Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer finally giving in to Seahawks Twitter? They're ruthless, man. Ruthless. Ruthless. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night. This, this is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got deep, 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 deep. Welcome back into Seattle Sports at Night. Don't forget you can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. I'm not just saying this because we like to let you guys know about the app. I do use it, and I listen to it every morning. When my alarm goes off, yeah. it's at 7, and so I turn off my alarm, and then I turn on uh, the live stream on the app just to make sure that I actually get up and get out of bed. Otherwise, <laughs> I just hit snooze and go to sleep. So. That's, that's a good point. I think Mike Salk's voice would probably force me to wake <laughs> up, I would say. All of a sudden, you're just, I'm up. I'm doing it. Uh, it's about that time. We like to ask Jake four questions for Down Territory. Let's get to it with question number one. Number one. Jake, are Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer finally giving in to Seahawks Twitter? Oh, meaning that they're going to dink the ball around? Yep. Meaning that dink they're going to throw the ball? Dink and dunk. Put it in Russell Wilson's hands? Well, I, in week two, the answer is yes, they did give in to Seahawks Twitter. But I don't think it was something that is going to be a permanent thing. This is a game-by-game uh, 
situation and what is ultimately best for the Seahawks offense. And yes, Seahawks Twitter, you are going to be mad at me, but I think the best thing for this team for this team and the personnel that they have is to be a run-first oriented offense and using the deep play-action pass to capitalize on it. And I think that that's where they are at their best. I believe that's where Jermaine Effetti, this offensive line, is at their best. They're not exposed to a traditional uh, drop-back pass mm-hmm. situation. The reason why it worked so well was because Russell was able to get the ball out of his hands so quickly. And one of the things that I hope that this team does is I, I don't want them to abandon who they are, what they're about, but I do. What we've been asking for is for them to consistently make in-game adjustments and if things aren't going right, that they lean into their top five quarterback. And week two, Stacy, he showed you exactly why you should do that and that you can do it more importantly. I think that is a huge uh, building block for this team moving forward. Question number two. Number two. Jake, how concerned are you about Chris Carson's fumbles? He has three through two games. Yeah, it is concerning. And Pete Carroll talked about the the final, the third and final one, not really falling on Chris Carson. Mm-hmm. I do agree with that. The more more so, if you're going to point blame, goes to Nick Vanette. Nick Vanette. Uh, responsibility was to block out on the nickel corner. Nickel corner comes untouched and is literally there as soon as Chris Carson, Carson about had to take no that chance. Hand up. He had zero chance and, and was looking at that defender instead of focusing on protecting the football. And so with Chris Carson, this is something that has been part of his DNA in the past. This is something that Pete Carroll and this and and this coaching staff is really going to harp on him about. So the biggest thing for Chris Carson is he's got to know, and he does, that if you can't take care of the football, you are not going to be on the field despite your talent. So I don't foresee this being an issue moving forward, but you can bet, you can bet that this is going to be an issue addressed and that Chris Carson is going to get this fixed. I firmly believe that. You know what's interesting is he had a reputation for really being able to handle the ball and protect the ball in college. He had an interview with Danny David Moore, uh, I think when he was a rookie, and he talked about what he used to do, and he used to have uh, water jug footballs and carry them around um, to help him build up strength in his forearms, and then he'd have somebody come in and try to knock it out. And uh, if if... I, if he didn't hang on to them, he had to pay them. Yeah. Which I, it's not a bad, I mean, it's not a bad trick because he didn't really fumble in college. Well, I mean, if that's what he's got to do, if that's what the Seahawks, if the Seahawks hear that, they know that, maybe it's time to get back to that. I'm going to guess that the fines for being able to force Carson to fumble that water jug in the NFL, probably a little higher. I would assume so. Question number three. Number three. Jake, what time? What type of impact will Ziggy Ansah have on the Seahawks' defense in Week Three? Ziggy Ansah, stop playing with our emotions. <laughs> I feel like please, you're going to sing a '90s song. Please be on the field in Week vibes. Three because I want to see this guy absolutely dominate. And the part that I'm it's so excited to see is Jadavian Clowney on one side, Ziggy Ansah on the other. This is a group that once Ziggy Ansah is on the field, he is going to have a direct and immediate impact. Part of the reason why he's not playing is probably for two reasons. One, they want to ensure that that shoulder is completely healthy and fine when he steps on the field, something he doesn't even have to think about. And the second thing is you got to factor in the conditioning part of it. Is Unlike Jadavian Clowney, Ziggy Ansah wasn't able to condition and work out the way that he nor- he is accustomed to working out. Whereas Jadavian Clowney, even though he wasn't in a train camp, he was conditioning, he was working out. And so it was easier for him to get into quote-unquote football shape. 
for Ziggy Ansah, uh, it's a little different. So I think part of that was him needing to get into clear yep. football shape, and it's taken two weeks. This isn't panic. Uh, this isn't a panic thing for me at all. But once Ziggy Ansah is on the field, you are going to feel an immediate impact. This is a player who is dynamic, who has got great length, who can be disruptive uh, in the passing game, and more importantly, Stacy is a is a reliable, consistent disruptor in the running game. So that is a part that I'm very excited about, and that's where I believe that this defense is going to take it to a whole nother level once he is out there on the field. I'm going to tack on question 3B. How does Seattle use both of those guys together? Clowney in week one, initially kind of a third down back uh, situation, or third down back, uh, third down situational pass rusher, and then they obviously used him for far more snaps than they were expecting, and he started getting in there earlier. Correct. Do you use Ziggy every down? Is he your typical defensive end? Do you bring both of them into rush? How do you use those guys together? Yeah, the Seahawks, what they're going to do is they consistently rotate their guys. That's just the way that they do things, and I think it's the smart way of playing. Also, what went unnoticed was LJ Collier was actually out there. He did. Uh, yeah, he got snaps. a few snaps. He, he, didn't, he didn't do anything to draw attention, but it was good to see him get out there and finally start playing. Uh, gives you depth, and what Ziggy Ansa what he'll do is I believe that they're going to have Jadavian Clowney and Ziggy Ansa play a lot together. I believe Jadavian Clowney is going to play your more traditional Leo position, mm-hmm. uh, be a little bit more dynamic, where Ziggy Ansa I think is a little more stout, a little more consistent in the run game. And so you could easily see him playing that five-technique defensive end Mm -hmm. position when they're on the field at the same time. So that's the way I see them both working together. That's good. It lets Collier at that same five-tech spot kind of like share those reps a bit with both of them coming off of injuries. Exactly. Like that. Question number four. Number four. After watching it come into play a couple times over weeks one and two, Jake, what are your thoughts on the NFL's new pass interference rule? Yeah, this has just opened up a whole Pandora's box. Honestly, this has been a tough watch over the first two weeks in terms of how they've handled this. And you, when you made this rule, it was more so in the thought processes. You do not want a New Orleans situation like last year happen ever again, where an obvious, egregious defensive pass interference goes uncalled. That's what it was set up for. But the way that this has turned into is now you, you're calling every ticky-tack situation, and it's almost become the new catch rule from a, from a couple years ago. You had no idea what a catch was, and it was the running uh, joke at the end of Yeah, and now I believe that's what the, this this rule, the way that it's set now, is going to confuse more people than set straight in a lot of situations. And it has not been perfectly executed. And when you talk about this, it's one of those things that, as you listen to Pete Carroll talk to Brock and Salk earlier this morning, he said that as explained to him that. The people in New York have to uh, overturn calls that seem obvious to the fan. Mm. And to me, you look at it and go, well, there's been situations that looked obvious to me that didn't get called. And obvious that it wasn't a deep or a pass interference yeah. that did get called. So I think it's created more confusion than it has settled anything else, Stacey. So it'll be interesting to see how much longer this actual rule is in place. I think it'll be interesting, too, to see... Uh, whether or not they get into a situation where it actually comes into use in the way that, like you said, it was with the Saints and Rams in that NFC Championship game. Is it going to be used as a way to essentially save a team from being wrongfully 
eliminated from contention for something. Um, and they have it just, the rule itself is just for the 2019-2020 season. Um, so they might not extend it if it ends up just making games too long and, and making things messy. But certainly interesting to see how it came into play. I'm sure not many Seahawks fans are complaining about it too much. No, nah, not too Given much. that it gave you a very vital 38-yard <laughs> gain. We're going to take a look around the rest of the NFL. Uh, some big, big quarterback news, interesting situations with their backups, a former Coug down in Jacksonville having a good start, and more. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night.